Are you ready to get the support you need for your author career and life? Join international indie bestseller Angela J. Ford and fantasy author Stephanie Wabwa as they talk all things writing, publishing, and the real life of an indie author. Welcome to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. Living your best indie life starts here. Welcome to episode 15 of the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. We are back again and we have another awesome interview this week. We'll be talking to J.A. Andrews, but we will get to that in a second. Stephanie, how are things going for you? Things are going pretty good. I am still watching um, just the response to the episodic story. Now I'm nearing where I'm going to wrap this bad boy up, at least this first portion anyway. I know my goal was to basically write the first portion with the audience and then kind of like take what they've all chosen and like expand it so that it can be a novella for them to enjoy in their hands. So that'll be the goal. Um, I'm nearing wrapping up with this story. Uh, It is the mercenary and the air empire very very fun um so yeah i've been focusing on that and then also you know just wrapping up that short story getting it out to readers tons of fun there and also just digging deep into this project fire series so by now i'm sure you guys know that it is the serif resistance series and i'm super excited just to continue revealing what is going on in all things serif resistance i i love all things angels and so this entire series deals with you know, holy angels and fallen angels. And so that's going to be really, really fun to dive into. So we're digging deep into that. That is what I'm focusing on as far as like writing and like marketing and things. And what about you? What are you getting up to? Well, I am revisiting some of my older work that I've been just taking my sweet time on. Uh, Last January, I started EP's Quest, which I thought... I would just quickly write that story and have it out in September of 2019, but that obviously did not happen. Uh, It is a story that I decided to just, like, there's no plotting, no planning whatsoever. I saw a cover, I bought it, I looked at it, and I said, okay, the character's name is going to be Ethy, and I'm going to do, like, some more... I think, like, more along the lines of the Celtic kind of um, history and themes with it at least pull from that. That was the root base that I was going to pull from. And I've just been writing it, just whatever I think. Like, just, it's so much fun. It's so freeing. But it's turning into a massive novel. And it's really fun. And I think it's really good for me to actually have something that I can take my time with, that I can spend, you know, more than a year writing and digging into and really enjoying because it's fun. It's all about the process with this one. And I think when it comes to being a career author, I think at times it can feel like we need to rush and hustle and like have books out all the time and always be like gearing up for a new release and a launch when it is actually okay to take our time. And I'm really excited um, because in our interview with J.A. Andrews, we're also going to touch on this a little bit too, uh, just because it's, it's really important to have that story that you write that's really important to you and just make sure you don't skip over the fundamentals when you're bringing it out. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, you know, we talk about this where a lot of the bestsellers that we love the stories that are in our hands now, it took them years. Some of them, over a decade to write just because 
it's a really big story. It's a very intricate world. And so just for them to, you know, really get to know the characters, get to know their stories, get to know their purpose and the messages, you know, and just the purposes that they're fighting for, it takes time. And when we say time, we mean like literal time. Like it takes months and sometimes even years for that to kind of just like settle in your heart, really like just mull over the story, you know, sift through what could be done, what doesn't really, you know, align with the story and just sifting through idea after idea until you re you reach that spot where you're like, oh, this is it, you know, like for my Seraphim Resistance series, this was birth, like the ideation of it was birth years ago, at least three, if not four years ago. And I've written story after story, whether short or novella, or I even completed manuscripts, you know, full novels, thinking, okay, I have the entrance to this story now. And I didn't, you know, those were just my ways of like getting to know the story better. And now with the short coming out, now I'm like, oh, this is the story that needs to be told. Like, this is the MC. This is her story. And this is what she's fighting for and the messages that I want to get across. And so um, I think it's awesome that you're taking your time, you know, because as time goes on, you know, we also have different experiences that help us see things with a different perspective. And that filters into the writing as well. And I love how, you know, with JA, we talk about that, you know, like just taking your time and just seeing how, the different elements of life filter into our story. So I'm really excited for Ify's quest. I know it's going to be super awesome by the time it publishes. Yeah, we'll see how long it takes, but I'm really excited about it. And so yeah, I'm also excited about this interview. So let's dig in. Right. Welcome to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. And today we have a very special guest, J.A. Andrews. She is a writer, wife, mother, and an unemployed rocket scientist. She doesn't regret the rocket scientist degree, but finds it generally inequitable in daily life, except for the rare occurrence of her being able to definitively state that's not rocket science. She does, however, love the stars. She spends an inordinate amount of time at home with her family, who she adores and lives deep in the Rocky Mountains of Montana, where she can see more stars than she ever imagined. J.A., welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about you and why you decided to become an indie author. All right. Um, first of all, the J is for Janice, which... Um, I am friends with people for a really long time before I remember to mention that. So uh, that helps. <laughs> when I picked initials for a pen name, I was like, it never occurred to me that people would like not know what the J was for. So Janice. Um, and I became an indie author mostly because when I realized that it would be fun to actually write a book, um, the idea of the whole querying agents and then waiting and trying to sell books to publishers sounded so long and so horribly like soul crushing um, just the sheer number of rejections you have to survive through I knew that I would just never do it and so really when I thought that was my only option publishing was just something I wasn't interested in putting all the work into um, I <laughs> guess that makes me a quitter because I just knew I knew like the first like five rejection notices that came I would be like okay I'm done whatever um, so then I had actually heard I think Lindsay Broker was the first um, indie author that I ever heard of that 
actually sold books and I read her books and I liked her books and I thought if she can do it like maybe I can do it too and so then I obsessed about indie publishing and um, yeah like studied everything I could study and realized that at least I wouldn't have to wait and the only rejection that would come is no one buying my books which nobody was buying them before I published them so I thought well it's about the same thing so that's how I decided. So it was in 2016, in the summer of 2016, that I published my first book. Not really having any idea what I was doing, I just threw it up there and my parents brought a copy and a few other people bought copies, but that was about it. It was a slow beginning. That's super cool and I love your beginning. Um, it's a real one, you know? Not everyone, I think a lot of authors, they don't set out to really try to like be this big time career professional. They're like, I wanna write a book. Um, it's different. I don't want to have to cry through, you know, however many uh, rejections, you know, on another episode, we speak to Elise Kova and she mentions that she had over a hundred rejection letters. Oh, I don't know if I'd be able to survive 15. Um, so, so to go through that, I mean, you know, for, for some indies, it's like, I don't want to have to go through that, you know, and sitting behind and crying and thinking that, you know, I wrote something awesome, but like nobody wants it, <laughs> you know? So it's definitely super normal, but, um, you know, you did say that you had a, a slower beginning. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about that, you know, like, cause you, it's kind of like, kind of figured it out along the way, so to speak. And so how did you really get started? I mean, like you wrote the thing, right? But then like, how did it actually start to become, you know, like a career thing for you? Um, so when I first started out, I had, um, I had actually bought a course. I bought Nick Stevenson's like how to something, build a newsletter or something course. And so um, what I thought was the least important part of that course was that you also got involved in a Facebook group of his where you could ask questions of other writers and of him and whatever. Um, and that was the part that I was like, I don't use Facebook. So lame, whatever. It's part of the class. Like I'll just, I'll just watch the videos and learn stuff and forget the Facebook part. Except I had a question once. So I like logged on to Facebook and I created like a fake author, <laughs> not fake, but it's a pen name. So I like created a pen name and I was like, okay, I'll ask my question. And, um, and I discovered that there were all these other indie authors and they were so amazingly generous and helpful. And um, I kept going back. And then I met, um, there was sort of a group of us, I think there's 10 or 12. This was, I mean, it was like three years ago that I did all this. And um, still to this day, there's 10 or 12 of us women that are in a Facebook group together um, because we all met during that class. and. Um, they are all different genres. We have like, like I write fantasy. We have one other fantasy writer. There's a woman who writes like historical Irish fiction. Um, there's a Christian fiction author and an erotica author. <laughs> so it's just this like most diverse group you've ever seen. But um, they're so supportive and wonderful. And so um, that was the first glimpse I got that like maybe working with other authors could be a powerful thing. And so um, they did help. I mean, even though we were completely the wrong genre for each other, they helped um, share my books and like just they shared them with their newsletters who didn't even read fantasy, but whatever. Um, and so through that, I started to get this idea of like, if I could meet authors that write like me, that would be a more powerful way to network with people and that kind of thing. So um, I was just really surprised at how fun it was and how helpful it was. To meet these other authors and so between I published my first book in July and 
2016. In December, I published this shorter uh, standalone companion kind of story that went along with it. Um, and between those, however many months that is, five months, um, I was able to meet enough indie fantasy authors that when that one launched, even though it was shorter and kind of, I don't know, it's kind of <laughs> it's like big and epic, even though it was epic fantasy, um, it ended up selling way better than the first one did. And it gave the first one some momentum too, just because I finally had people that were sharing with their readers and their own Facebook groups and stuff. So um, that's probably how things just started growing. And then just since then, really, I've that's been a major focus, just trying to meet other indie authors that write similar to me. Yeah, that's a great focus. And I wish I had started doing that sooner because I didn't really know. I just put my book out there and was hoping to, I guess I was more focused on targeting the readers and less of finding authors and making friends with them and then being able to do that cross promotion. So that's a really smart way of going. Um, I've actually read three out of four of your books because I love them all. <laughs> They're really fun. And I, I love your writing style. And I like the way the, the epicness of the fantasy comes together. And even the shorter, shorter one you wrote, um, Tompkin and the Dragon, uh, that one, is, it was just fun. It's like fast paced. It's fun. It makes me laugh. Just all of those different things. But I absolutely love your writing style. What's kind of your process for writing and who were some of your inspirations that you pulled from when it came to writing? Um, the vast majority of my fantasy reading came when I was like a teenager. So like 80s and 90s fantasy, I'm all over it. Like I read like everything back then. Um, and then college came and then marriage and children and work. And so like 2000s until now, there's been way less reading in my life. Um, and so a lot of my inspiration is really like classic fantasy tropes. Like I love, I want dwarves to be like grumbly and rough and love tunnels, you know, and I want elves to be kind of ethereal and have magic that no one else totally understands and just be a little flighty, you know? And so um, I feel like those tropes can be done very wrong. And so one of my goals was just try and make them right to try and like infuse in these characters what I loved about those tropes. And so that was a big, this motivating factor for creating these characters, uh, just this wanting to like keep that trope like as live as I could. Um, it, my first book, maybe all of them, really had like the traditional sort of group of people trooping through the land trying to solve a problem that starts out small and gets bigger and more endangering more people as they go along. So, um, which I feel like is the classic trope again, but um, I lose interest in books when um, we're not connected really tightly to a character. I mean, like, yeah, I'll read Tolkien because he's amazing, right? But a lot of times in epic fantasy, <laughs> we'll get uh, so much turns into these armies moving and there's these bigger storylines that are going on and they have a hard time connecting with those storylines. And so um, in order for me <laughs> to stay interested in my own books, they have to be really grounded in a specific character's like longings <laughs> and what what they really need to have happen and so um even though they're epic i i really only write one point of view and it's just really focused on that one character and how he or she is going to survive <laughs> and 
possibly get what they're trying to get this whole time. And in the meantime, they keep getting things thrown at them. And they always end up in these problems that are bigger than what they want to be involved in, um, which probably a personal thing. I'd really rather solve small problems. And so all this stuff keeps piling on them and they have to be like, ah. Um, but they, they are in general like characters that are trying to make the right choices and do the right things. So they're not just gonna let the world burn while they run after their own thing. Um, there's a lot more sort of a, again, like a classic hero mentality in them. Although they're never fighters. They're usually bookworms actually. No, I love that. And the the classic tropes, they really come across in your work. Like it, it's just really fun, like reading it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this reminds me why I love fantasy so much. And it just kind of, it's like a lot of, it like brings up a lot of nostalgia in me uh, just because it is really fun to read about the grumbly dwarves and like the the little flighty elves and just the the magic. And it's it's so cool. I love it. Um, <laughs> I'll try not to geek out the whole time. <laughs> uh, but I also like the the characters and kind of digging in and focusing on those one characters because I think that is my one complaint with a lot of the, the popular fantasy is that it's really hard for me to, I get bored, I guess, when I read it because I'm not really tied into a character. I'm like, okay, I hope the good guys win, but also this is really like dense and boring and I really just want to focus on have a couple of characters to really connect to and feel focused on so what do you do to really create I guess the the characters and make us feel connected to them because I think that's something that you do really well thanks um I might not know (laughs) the answer to that problem um I um a long time ago when I was struggling, um, my, my, my first book started out as just this random set of chapters that was never meant to really go anywhere. Um, and so when I tried to wrangle it into a real book, I started studying like crazy, like what makes a story? How do you write a book? What do you, how am I supposed to pull this off? And I discovered um, an article by somebody that I will link when I figure out where it is. Oh, Donald Moss. And um, it's about, and it was called Third Level Emotions. And um, something about this article just really grabbed me. And he just talked about how when you have a pivotal scene with your character, a really emotional scene, how um, there's so much more going on in that character than whatever your surface emotion would be. Like maybe they, something shows up and they're instantly scared because of this danger. But a lot of times, underneath that is maybe like a layer of guilt because they're partly responsible for whatever this danger is that showed up, you know, and then maybe under that, there's a sense of that they've failed, excuse me, in, in doing something. So they get to this point. And so um, when you start digging into these different layers, if in the book, all those layers come out, if we spend some time focusing on that third lower layer, um, it gives so much more depth to the character's emotions. And so I have this article saved in my Scrivener files. And so, and it has its prompts. There's probably like 20 prompts inside this article that you go through and you just write out about your character in this instance. And every single time I'm in a, a place where I really want to connect to my character, I'm like, okay, I'll do the third level emotions. And every single time I think, I don't want to. Like, I, want, I don't want to. I just want to write, she's scared, move on. Um, but every time I do it, at the end, you take all these prompts and you put it into a paragraph. And every single time, I've never once had a time 
that I didn't come out being like, yes, oh my gosh, like that is what I, this poor character has been going through. So it's almost like you've just had this incredibly in-depth, vulnerable conversation with your character and seeing like how what's happening is really affecting him or her. And so, um, I mean, I probably use that a dozen or two dozen times in every book, just at these real important points, you know, where just something happens that just takes your character and just makes them stop and be like, ah, how am I going to respond to whatever's happening? And so for me, anyway, the exercise has made them come more alive because I feel like when I'm drafting half the time, their answers are kind of shallow, you know, we're just like skimming along the top. Um, so when I have to stop and have these really deep conversations with my characters who are imaginary, <laughs> writing life often sounds like you're totally crazy. But so I have these conversations with them <laughs> and it's so much easier to pull out the really meaningful parts of it. And I feel like um, some of that exercise is determining whether what they're feeling is a universal idea that everyone can relate to or it's something really unique to this character. And, and just by sometimes deciding that, it's easy to put it into the book in a way that the reader can relate to it too. That's my only clue yeah, no, that maybe that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. And I will say, you know, I am like Angela. I've, I've read a few of your stories as well. And Tomkin and the Dragon loved it. <laughs> but um, I just love the witty banter, you know. But um, <laughs> um, I also, one thing that is just, su like, it's just clear in your books is the heroics of it. And then just that goodness prevails. And I think um, in an era where fantasy tends to lean, people love your, no, no shame on, you know, Game of Thrones and, you know, everything that Martin does and, you know, just other authors who tend to write stories like that. But, um, you know, there, there's this growing desire, I, could, I guess you could say, for like darker fantasy. And so when I read, um your stories it's like a for me it's literally like a breath of fresh air like oh, okay we're returning to the days of narnia praise god you know <laughs> you know and so for me it's just um you know i not only i love that but i wonder like is that something where because you know you did say that you you love the more classic tales and that that's how it used to be where you know good and good and evil maybe evil reigns for a little bit but good always eventually prevails and so nowadays that's not the case right like people hope for the happy ending and then they get to the end of the series and like there is none and they're like you brought me through 10 novels <laughs> with like 600 plus pages each and you did not give me a happy ending how could you do this to me right and so is that something that is like innate in you and so you that fuses into your stories where you're like no I want goodness to win or is that just something where you're still leaning on like those classic tales of you know like good ends up winning like what do you think um where does that come from you know that desire to write such a positively ending story. Um, so it's funny that you would say Narnia because um, back when I was, again, this whole should I publish or not publish and how do I write a story, um, I sat down and I wrote um, like why, why would I even want to write a story or like what did I love about stories and what would I want to capture if I spent, because I was starting to realize how much time it takes to write a book and I was like, dude, that's a lot to invest if I don't have a good reason for doing it. So, um, and I, what I put actually was that what I love is like the wonder and goodness that you find in Narnia. Narnia was my thing because you can't walk with Lucy into Narnia and not just be like, 
I love this place. Like the white witch should not be ruling here, right? We need, <laughs> Aslan needs to come back. <laughs> so um, just that concept of the like wonder and goodness. And even though things are really bad, like not all of Narnia is like happy and rainbows, but um, I don't know, there's a sense all the way through it that good can win. First of all, there's a chance that can win. I mean, I've read several of um, Martin's books and watched some of the the TV seasons, although I didn't watch the last one, mostly because we didn't have um, access to it when it was running and I was watching everybody else get more and more angry. And I was like, I'm not watching the last season. <laughs> I don't want to see all my favorite characters die. Um, but um, I like enjoy all the intrigue and stuff in some of those books. Although I, after I have to do it in small doses or I get a little bit like, okay, there's too much darkness. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I just really wanted when I wrote stories for them to not belittle how hard it is to be noble and to make the right choices, but to have characters that were willing to do it, even if it's like a big struggle. And so definitely it was one of the reasons too that I thought traditional publishing might not be a good choice for me because I just didn't see a lot of hopeful fiction or um, fantasy being published. And so I was a little nervous that any agent was gonna be like, you're not, you're not gritty enough for the market today. And I don't think that's true. I mean, I think there's plenty of people that want to read things that aren't, um, you know, kind of grim and hard um, all the time at least. But I think in the traditionally published world, I think it's harder um, to get those things published because I don't know that that's what they're looking for right now. So at least not unless you're more like YA. I think there's some parts of YA fantasy that are a lot more positive. Not all of it, certainly, but some. But a lot of the adult fantasy is, it's, it's pretty dark. You know, that's yeah. a very interesting perspective. And I haven't thought about it like that, but having the, the more hopeful stories, like no matter whether you have like characters that are involved in conflicts and they're trying to choose to be noble and all of that, I, I guess I really didn't think about the fact that that might not be super popular with traditional publishing. That's, that's a really cool perspective. That gives me like something to like sit back and think about. <laughs> yeah, and no, it, that's true. Because, it, like, yeah. yeah, when you think about it, I mean, I'm in the YA um, spectrum. And honestly, when I look at what's being published traditionally in the YA fantasy um, area, it there is a sense of heroics but there's a lot of darkness to get to that final little shred at the very end you know they magically all end up happy after you know like they all almost lost their lives in a war that you know took half a year you know what I mean like, like there's just there's so much heaviness you know which which is again why it led me to like the books are such a refresher for me because it's like I mean, there, you know, there are things to overcome, but not everything has to be so dark and languid and heavy. And, and then, you know, readers nowadays, they don't know if the author is going to like slaughter all their favorite characters at the end, or if they're actually going to get one happy ending out of like seven different POV, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Yeah, it's, it's hard. And it's interesting, like writing something that is very, I guess, noble bright would be the term for it. But those are those are my favorite kind of stories. I like to finish a book and walk away with like a very, like, satisfactory feeling like ah, it happened and they won and it's great. And it just makes me so much more excited than walking away and going, that was really heavy. And the ending was also very heavy. And now I'm upset. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, I was a little worried that I wouldn't find um, an audience, mm. even for indie publishing, that was as interested in happier books. And, and I wouldn't say my book is, ha like, when people asked when I first published my book, they're like, what's it about? And it was like, there's this guy and his wife's dying and he has her in this like magical coma thing because he's trying to keep her from dying and he keeps failing. And so he's like given up on everything in life. And I'm like, but it's kind of happy. <laughs> and they're like, uh-huh and so I was just afraid that people like were, weren't gonna like want the like hopeful thread that went through all of it um but I would say most of the emails I get from readers comment on that they comment on how they were like they read it and they were enjoying reading it and they were feeling like so satisfied after they put it down instead of feeling heavy and so I'm so pleased to know that I'm not the only human being who wants stories like that <laughs> <laughs> well obviously you aren't and your your box that has almost 500 reviews I think so that that's a testament right there to how many people are actually enjoying your work and they love that hopeful thread and you've sold thousands of copies of that too so that that also is there like knowing that you have something that is successful and that's reaching people and yeah, was this kind of your plan going along to just kind of turn this into like a, a full-time, like a career author? Was that your goal or were you just kind of getting your books out there so people could read them? Um, it was definitely just get them out there and see what happens. And then um, actually the more authors I met who were actually had a career out of it, the more I thought like, oh, like that could be possible. I mean, I really just kind of thought it would be a hobby where I hoped that selling a book would pay for like the cover for the next book and the editing for the next book, you know, just like, so I wouldn't be leeching off of our family's income all the time trying to keep my hobby alive. Um, but then there's so many indie authors that are doing so well and they're either living off of what they make or they're contributing to their family or whatever. Um, so I just sort of the more I got involved in the indie world, the more possible it all seemed. And so then the more it was like, well, I could do that too. Like, what are they doing to make that work? And so um, I don't know when it probably transitioned into really being a, I should make this a career, but at some point it did. And so that was kind of nice too, because then it stops feeling like a, maybe I'll write today, maybe I won't kind of thing. It, it just becomes a lot more focused when I don't have like huge set goals on how much I want to accomplish, but I would like to continue putting out books and I can't do that unless I sit down and write. So that really helped on a day-to-day -day sort of motivational basis. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that. So what does your routine look like? You know, because you did make that transition to, okay, no, I'm a career author. Um, this is bread and butter now. <laughs> I mean, it's still hobby and it's passion and I love it, but it is also bread and butter. And so um, how, what, what does your, your routine, your daily routine look like as far as like getting the work done, whether, um, I know some authors, they start off with writing, then they go into marketing, and then they plan out, you know, their publishing schedule, things like that. So what does that look like for you? Well, I homeschool my three kids um, during the day. 
So really once the day gets started by like nine o'clock in the morning, like whatever plans I had for productivity are probably out the window. I still try like every day I'm like, Oh, well I'll just do this while the kids are doing their math or whatever. And, um, it's usually failed. It fails. But, um, so I get up early, not crazy early, maybe like six. Um, and <laughs> since kids were little, since I taught them numbers, which I teach them numbers before letters so that they know they have to stay in bed and be quiet until there's a seven on the front of the clock. <laughs> so that's still a thing, even though my youngest is only, my youngest is eight and my oldest is 13. But um, they still, it's still the rule. If you wake up before seven, lay quietly in your bed. <laughs> So I have till seven of complete silence in the house, which is great. And then because they're old enough now um, and my office is in the basement, they'll come down whenever they wake up and say hi to me. And then I boot them back upstairs. And I usually uh, try and keep writing till about nine. And then I go upstairs and try and get them all organized for school. Um, some days that's really productive. And then some days it's just not. I just one of those things that you always feel like you should be able to accomplish more with time than you actually ever get done. Um, but I try to not do any ads. I try to not open Facebook. I try to not reply to messages, anything until uh, that nine o'clock time hits so that I can, because as soon as I do that stuff, then I feel like all my concentration is gone because then I'm like, oh, have that mental list of everything else that has to get done today. So I do try and do the actual writing first thing in the morning. If it's editing, that's a little easier to do later in the day because I already have something to work with. But if it's putting out new words, that has to be done in like absolute silence <laughs> with no distractions at all. Um, and I, I do get up really every day. I, it's a rare day that I don't get up and do it just because no one else in my family is a morning person. And so it's just always quiet. And I find that when I sleep in and get woken up like by a child coming to ask a question, I'm in a way worse mood than if I would just <laughs> get up get my coffee and like be ready to face the day and then have to answer questions. So yeah, so things like ads and um, working with other authors, all that stuff just happens sort of throughout the day. Whenever I get time, I'll log on and see what's going on. Nice. No, that's, um, I, you know, I, en I enjoy hearing about that process. So for everyone, it's different. Um, but um, I like that you mentioned that you don't check any of the digital things until afterwards and I think that's something that's really important to hinge on because I know for me it's the same thing like if I dive into any design you know because I'm a designer as well so if I start working on a design or if I start checking emails or if I start you know emails my goodness I can get lost in my inbox <laughs> um, you know or like Facebook and checking you know what's going on in the groups what are people doing um Either I just get incredibly distracted and I'm scrolling for way too long, or I start to find myself in um, a comparison place where I'm like, oh, author so-and-so has already pumped out 7,000 words today. I haven't written any. <laughs> or like, okay, wow, they're launching their, you know, their next book and it's only been like 17 days. I'm still plotting out my first one. You know, so it's like... Um, it, it's really, it, you know, it's just cool to know that I'm not the only one, of course, you know, like that's like, okay, let me focus on this story, get these words out because it, it really does take the freshness of the mind to craft those new words that are in your brain, get the story going, move it along a little bit further and then go do all the things, you know? <laughs> 
kind of funny how you have a like seven o'clock kind of time limit for your kids too. Cause I remember I was homeschooled too, but my mom also had that rule. Like it was like, all right, until it's this time, do not come out of your room. Like you just stay and I get it. Like you need your peace and you're quiet and just kind of like, Hey, this is my time. And that's a great way of balancing it all out. Like doing it first thing before getting involved with all the day to day things. That's super smart. I need to do that more. <laughs> it's so much harder with kids because you just never know how the day is going to go. Like I can think we're going to have this easy day of whatever we have things planned out. It's not going to be a problem. And then somebody's sick or somebody is mm. just done because they had a bad night's sleep. And, you know, anything you ask them to do brings on tears and you're just like, what? <laughs> Today was this is going to be a good day. Like this, no. (laughs) So I feel like if I, I'm in control before they wake up, I'm like fully in control of my own attitude, whether I'm getting everything done. And then that all ends by like nine o'clock. So it's really better for me to be productive in the part of the time that I know I have some control over. No, for sure. And then, so, you know, you have the writing, you know, you have the writing set as far as your routine, but when it comes to marketing, what are some of the myth, some of the things that you do um, for your work to continue to be successful, right? Um, because sure, you know, an author can put out a book and then maybe it does well when it first launches, but then like it's sustainability, <laughs> right? Like you've got to keep selling books. And so what are some of the things you do as far as like marketing um, just to really make sure that your stories are doing well and that your name stays in the minds of readers? So this is something I feel like I'm not great at. Um, I do Amazon ads. Um, I dabble in Facebook ads Every time I do and start an ad, I'm like, it's going great. And then I realize later that maybe it made no sales or whatever. Um, I, I have yet to have a Facebook ad that like does really good. Um, but I, I'm still messing with it and trying to get them better. So there's advertising. Um, and then um, I do newsletter swaps with other authors. So share their work and have them share mine. My biggest problem I feel like is that I have um, my one trilogy that's finished and that's really old. I mean, there's a short little standalone novel that goes with it, but um, what I really feel like I need to do is get at least another trilogy out so that I have more than one thing to be offering people. Um, so many of the people on my newsletter have come from the back matter of my book, which means they've read everything I've written. So marketing my book to them was kind of a waste of time because they're like, yeah, it was great. When's your next book? So um, I'm really trying, like, that's what I've been focusing on this fall, just really trying to get the next trilogy done, which is the same world, so I'm hoping there'll be a lot of read-through between the two um, trilogies. Uh, So I just want, I just need more books that I can market to people, honestly, because I just feel like I don't have enough. So yes, there's that competition when I see all the other authors who are like, I did another book, I did another book, hey, I got another book, or they're like, I have written 18 books so far and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh, I wish I'd written 18 books so far. I should have started 10 years ago. (laughs) No, for sure. That's a real thing. Um, I know that I actually, that was one of the reasons, you know, in a previous episode I shared about my half year hiatus. (laughs) And a lot of, a lot of that fueled into it because I was like, okay, yes, so-and-so maybe putting out like a book a month or a book every other month and they're riding the waves of the Amazon algorithm and like they're conquering, you know, they're at the top of all of the Amazon bestsellers. But 
that's not your process, you know? And so it, it, it was healthy for me to like step away and recognize, dude, you have your own journey, you know, chill, you've got this, you know? But, um, do you find that, so have you done anything as far as like in person wise, like maybe, um, um, what do you call it? Like book signings and things like that. Like, have you ever, has all of your marketing, um, solely been digital or have you like done any other like face-to-face things as well with creators? It's all been digital. Um, mm. I made it far enough to talk to the manager at my local Barnes and Noble and see if he'd stock. Well, his wife was in a book club that we were in with her, her kids and my kids were in the same book club. And so through her, I actually got my books, um, put on the shelf at the local Barnes and Noble. Um, and so they were like, you could do a signing, <laughs> but we live in a pretty small city in Montana. And I was just like, no, absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it felt like one of those things that was like, even if it went really well, there was a very limited number of people that would have come. It wasn't like a nice big city where people were there shopping at Barnes and Noble all the time. Um, and so, and then it just sounded like totally nerve wracking. That's when I just had maybe, maybe the first two books were published at that time. And so I thought like, well, maybe when I get all of them done, I'll go back and do a book sign, but I never have. <laughs> and so I don't know if I ever will or not. Um, it sounds sort of terrifying, um, mm. but yeah, I'm not sure. So far I have not done anything like that. Yeah. And I, I definitely get that because I live well in a city that's pretty big and busy and all the people are here. It's insane. Um, but I really haven't done, I used to do events, but now I don't just because I just feel like my time is better spent doing things digitally. And then I also feel like I have a ton of demands on my time and I would rather spend time either writing or if I have extra time, I want to spend it with my husband. So I don't, really do events, but I think they can be a great way to go. Not knocking events at all, but it's just something that I think you just kind of have to look at what you're doing and say, Hey, like this doesn't really work for me. It might work for other authors, but not for me. And that's okay. And then I also like how you talked about earlier, just the writing process and just seeing other people that write faster or just different things like that, but just kind of knowing your own pace and your own schedule. I think that's really important too, because sometimes I look over and I'm like, oh my gosh, people, they can publish a book every month. That's amazing. I want to do that. But I also know that I can't write that fast and oh, my writing has slowed way down. I feel like, <laughs> but, but yeah, there has to be a balance between like life and writing and all the other responsibilities too. And I think doing a little bit every day can take you such a long way versus trying to like make sure you're keeping up with everyone else. I agree. And getting married is a, is a big time suck. I don't talk about the wedding. I just mean like the being <laughs> married and having somebody else like fun in the house to talk to. My husband's a huge distraction for me. <laughs> so, and he's also a huge night owl. So oh. my biggest writing challenge is to get to bed on time so that I can get up in the morning, but then yes. like, we'll start binge watching something on Netflix or something. And then it's midnight. And then six o'clock is really hard to do after you've been up for midnight. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. Mine ends up being, um, I don't get up at six o'clock, but some night days I get up at 5am to go to the gym because my husband does personal training. And so we go to the gym together, which means I get my workout in. <laughs> That's nice. Fuck in the morning. <laughs> 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 gotta do what you gotta do. Gotta stay healthy and all that stuff. 
Um, but yeah, how do you like living kind of out? I feel like where you live is absolutely beautiful. Like you're, you're close to the Rocky Mountains or you're actually in the Rocky Mountains, but I feel like being out there might be just a really good place to write because there's just so much land and freedom and open skies. Or so it seems. Yeah. A well of inspiration for sure. It totally is. So we used to live like really deep in the mountains, really far from everything really. There was like a little town like 15 minutes away from us that had a grocery store and stuff. But um and actually we lived in this tiny little development that had um they were all like five acre lots. So you couldn't really see your neighbors very much. It was all wooded. Um but but they had like a homeowners association, which was funny because we were like in the middle of nowhere. Um, but all the whole development shared a well. So the homeowners association kind of ran the well and all that kind of stuff. And um, that, and they called whenever there was a mountain lion or a bear that had been seen <laughs> in the area to make sure that your pets and children were inside. <laughs> so that was really, I've talked to them most often because of mountain lion sightings actually. But um, it was beautiful. And um, I am super inspired by mountains and forests and the sky's extra blue and the waters are all like super clear and it's just, it's so picturesque and so I love it. And then we actually moved out um, onto the plains part of Montana for a couple years uh, while we saved up some money to buy land back in the mountains again where we could build in kind of a better place closer to a bigger city. Um, but still it's treed and there's this huge lake right next to our property and all this beautiful stuff. So it's really beautiful and really inspirational. And um, I wrote the first, I wrote the first several books. Well, they ended up being published while we lived in the mountains. And then my second book, we had moved onto the plains like while we wrote it. And the character in that book has to walk through these grasslands like forever and he hates them. <laughs> and you can totally tell like what my feelings were about moving from the mountains to this place where it was just brown grass that just went forever. <laughs> and so I was just like, guessing people, if they know anything about me, are going to be like dying laughing at my characters being like, there's so much grass, like there's no trees anywhere. So um, it totally inspires me, definitely. Um, we're hoping to be back in the mountains starting next spring and try and build a house next summer um, on the property we have out there. And I'm so excited for it. Um, but it's so much, it's a lot of work. It's all kind of intimidating, but also really fun. So we'll see how it all goes. I'll have to keep everybody posted. Seriously, yeah. that sounds uh, that's a dream um, because I'm sitting here. I'm like 15 minutes out of Washington, D.C. Yay. So, you know, it, there's, I mean, you know, you guys watch TV. There's always something going on in Washington, D.C. And so um, I do, find, but the beautiful thing about this area, though, is um, we don't live far from like forts and stuff. And so like, I'll just like go to the, the, the park and you know, just see the forts and like all the trees and like, oh my goodness, like things, like legitimate things happen here, you know, and it gets really inspiring. And I love that you said that you, you know, you draw from the landscape because I found that I did that. Like I was, I was walking around Fort Washington, um, Fort Washington Park. And um, at first I was just like, you know, looking at the visage of like the old cannons and like the, the schools that they had, you know, like in the early 1900s and things like that. And there's this like, large patch of greenery and just like these trees and there's like a like a dip into the hill and instantly I could visualize a part of my world that looked exactly like that of course you know like I added fantasy elements to it and um 
but I, I could just see that simply because of the nature that was around us. And I think it's so cool just to be able to, you know, just tap in, you know, to nature and to draw on those elements and to fuel that into our stories. But um, I would ask you, so the stories um, for the keepers, super cool, you know, premise and all that. But once that is like a like wraps up for you you know you said like that series is kind of done you need to move on to the next thing so do you have an idea of what you want to do Lex? like do you already have like the premonitions of okay I think I'm going this way these are the kinds of characters I want to include like what's coming up in the world of Andrews so I started um my new trilogy is back like 300 years before the first one and it's the first queen because the count the country's called queensland so it's the first it's the reason how it got to be the first queen um and the first people that turn into keepers because she basically creates the keepers that they, they all kind of join together to help her and whatever so um i'm still in the first book and so there won't be keepers till the third book somewhere i'm not totally sure where they'll officially be called keepers but i think anyone who's read the keeper chronicles will recognize the magic and the way they do things um they already love books and their culture back then is really illiterate. And so there's so few people that read. And so they have this little library that they're forming and they're sort of trying to collect history and stuff and just trying to do this in a, in a culture that doesn't care what happened before and that kind of thing. So um, it's been fun sort of setting the stage for everything that'll happen later. Um, my main character, though, is not a keeper this time, so she does not, everything else I've written has always been, like, they've had magic. Well, Tompkin and the dragon didn't. Tompkin's this kind of goofy boy who didn't, he's not really great at anything. <laughs> but um, Sable, who's the character in my new trilogy, who will eventually become the queen, um, she has some kind of special, like, abilities and stuff, but she's not magical, and she's not educated, and she's not whatever. So it's been interesting to kind of try and come at it from a totally different point of view from the other books, which were, I mean, the keepers are all sort of already have a lot of like position in the society and they're well-educated and they have magical powers and they're respected and stuff like that. So it's been fun to start with a really different kind of character. And she's just, she's not homeless exactly, but she basically lives in poverty in this section of a city that's kind of run by a gang lord. And so she's, has almost no autonomy and they're always sort of in danger. So it's just been fun to start a whole new thing. Same world. I think same feel as the other books, but it's been fun. That sounds fascinating. And I honestly can't wait to read it. I also love how you're writing something that is in the same world. And I think that's a really smart idea, especially for fantasy authors, because we can spend so much time just world building and falling in love with our world. And I think it's really cool when we approach the history of that world from different um, important times and histories and different point of views. Like that's just utterly fascinating. So I think it's gonna be amazing and I'm really excited about it. That'll, that'll be awesome. Uh, is 2020 kind of your goal for getting it out? Yes, my original goal was I wanted all three of them done in the spring of 2020 so I could kind of rapid release the three together. Um, book one I thought would be done by September and here we are most of the way through November and I'm still like fighting. It is really putting up a fight 
really, really, really putting up a fight. I thought I had it really plotted out and then I got, you know, into the middle of the writing and everything just really fell apart. So, um, so I've had to do so much revision and I really like where it's gone, but I was so hopeful that I would just write a good draft first and not have to, I often do a ton of work in my, during my revision process, a ton of adding depths and layers and stuff. And I really was hoping to get all that nailed in the first draft this time, which did not happen. So now I'm wondering if that's just my process and I need to accept that I'm going to do like a kind of crappy shallow draft and then go back and fill it in and bring it to life. Or if I can ever get faster at this, cause it's not, it's not fast to have to basically write it twice. So, um, I, I, I won't even show you, but my, my desk is like covered with, I have to print it out at a certain point because I can't like look at it on the screen anymore. And it's just like covered. I use an orange pen to do it. And the pages are just like completely orange <laughs> trying to fix everything. I don't even remember what your original question was, but. <laughs> oh gosh, but you <laughs> answered it. It's, it's great. <laughs> no, no, that makes sense. And I like to call it the skeleton draft where you just kind of like get the core, like the, just the baseline of the story together and then go through, because I always have to go back through my drafts and really embellish it and bring out the characters. And then, oh, I'm missing like another character. So I need to write in another point of view, just like all the things. So I get it and it'll, it'll come together. It's sometimes it's fast. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's just like, let me just pull my hair out. But yes, <laughs> but I'm really excited about it. Well, thanks. That Tomkin and the Dragon story was like effortless to write. My first, my first book took me like 10 years to finish. And then Tomkin and the Dragon, it was like three months and it just, it came out and it almost came out in its final form. Like it was amazing. And so then I was just like, every book I write in the future will be this easy. And yeah, no, no, not even close. Like the next book I ended up cutting 70,000 words that I had written because they were just all wrong. <laughs> so that was like more than the entire Tompkin and the Dragon story put together. Um, yeah, so yeah, every book is different. And even parts of books, like sometimes the beginning of a book will just go great. And then the middle is a disaster. And the end is great, but you have to spend so much time fixing that middle. So I don't know, I guess I always thought it would be like this linear, like I'd get better with each book and faster. And so far, no, it's not <laughs> happening. It's all over the place. No, I get that because as writers, we're like, oh, okay, like I'll write the, you know, by the time I get to my 15th book, it'll be just like, I snap my fingers and out pops the book. And it's just not like that, no. but it's a process and it's, it's fun. And, you know, it's, it's just one of my favorite things. And I know we all agree that it's just one of those things that we just love doing. Um, so yeah, so we are, wow, coming, wrapping up. So before we go, Janice, is there any, are there any final words you have for our listeners? Any advice or anything else you want to add? Yeah, my advice would be, if you want to be an indie author, get to know indie authors. And mm -hmm. Um, that the whole community is generous and nice and they write every type of book in every genre you could ever want. And it's just so, it's been so great getting to know other authors over the past couple of years. That's awesome. And I completely agree. That's sage advice right there. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Janice. We're so glad to have you. And it's been a wonderful conversation with lots of great takeaways and nuggets to share with our listeners. And we can't wait to share it out. Thanks. It's been really fun. 
The journey to becoming a full-time author on your own terms doesn't have to be lonely or hard. We have an awesome community where we chat daily, write together, and motivate each other. To be part of this vibrant community of indie authors living their best bookish life on their own terms, go to indieauthorlifestyle.com forward slash inner circle for more information. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love to hear more from you. Leaving a rating or review helps us to create more great content like this. Be sure to rate this episode and subscribe to the show. Thanks for listening to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. See you inside the community.